Good morning, all souls. Yeah, I like you guys more already. Don't tell the first service that. I did that, and they were just like, what's up? And uh, so hopefully this is going to go a little bit better for us this morning. I've had uh, copious amounts of coffee, so it's going to be interesting. And um, this morning, because I, was, I was, wasn't feeling all that great, I thought I took DayQuil. <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> I took NyQuil. I didn't want to tell the first service that because I wanted them to actually listen to me. Um, but, you know, I'm taking a risk with you guys. I feel like we already got a little something established. So, um, true story. Uh, so I've been pounding coffee all morning. I woke up this morning and uh, Shane was giving my six-year-old coffee, which I was super thankful for. Um, I came down, he's like, hurry, hurry. And my son just has his mug of coffee and he's like pounding it. And he's like, dad, coffee's great. And I was like... I hate you, Shane. Like, I hate you so much right now. I don't know about you, we stayed with the Wheelers, and it was, it was fantastic. I, I love spending time with him. Shane is my mentor, my friend, my coach. Uh, Carrie has been such a blessing to both Aaron and uh, me and myself. And we got a chance to go and spend the night at their house. And I don't know about you, parents, when you go to somebody else's house, the first thing that you do is threaten your children, right? You threaten them to act a certain way, to do a certain thing. You promise to take away everything in their life. Um, so as long as they act accordingly, or if that doesn't work, you bribe them, right? And we had candy and we had all kinds of stuff that we had stored away. And we were like, dude, we'll give you so much if you just Please, this house is new. <laughs> I know Shane. Like, come on, like, work with us. Opens the door. Shane comes out. Carries behind. He's like, "Welcome. You get all the soda and candy <laughs> and sweets that you want." And I was like, I don't, under my breath, I said something I can't say currently right now. And um, Isaac, before we were going to bed, Isaac Dean, he's the most like me. I love that kid. I love all my kids, but he and I have this kind of. He's like, Dad. They know how to throw a party. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He's like, Dad, they made me a special bubble water just for me. Like, I got all the candy that I wanted. I got to stay outside and play in the cold really late. I got to tell Shane everything that I wanted to. And then I got to play with their dogs. Best night of my life. And I just was like, all right, Shane, Carrie. He's gonna come around a lot more. You just adopted a kid. Um, but no, we're glad to be here. My name is Ryan. Uh, Mike wasn't lying. And um, I did move uh, from Brooklyn, New York. I was born and raised in Seattle. I had a time in St. Louis, Brooklyn, and then here. Uh, and so the South has been interesting. Um, so you can continue to pray for me on that one. Um, not necessarily used to it. Um, it's. It's interesting when you step into somebody, you know, into another church. Um, I don't know you. You don't know me, really. And so you, you kind of think through, wrestle with, like, what am, what, am, what am I supposed to say? Right? Because if I can make a lot of assumptions on what needs to be heard. And so one of the safest ways to kind of think through it is just like, Lord, what have you been dealing with me? You know? And then I can talk from a place of, like, God's been helping me in this area. And so that's the posture this morning. Like, um, if you feel convicted, it's the Holy Spirit, it's not me. 
If you feel encouraged, it's me, not the Holy Spirit. So, um, uh, we're gonna. Uh, Thomas is gonna read a large chunk of Ruth to us this morning, um, and it's it's right in the middle. It's sort of the turning point. It's kind of the climax of the book of Ruth. And it was uh, it was probably a few years ago. I heard a series of lectures um, on this book, and I don't know about you. But like when I when I have heard the book of Ruth, it's usually focused on her, right? And you kind of get into this internal dialogue and you know of, of her life and what she's feeling and scrape. But I heard this proposition that that Ruth at its core is really a book about loving people. It's really a book about God's mission in the world. You have this foreign woman that has no family. She's not from that country. Um, She's lost her cultural identity. She's alone. She's broke. And she's in an absolutely foreign place connected to a woman she doesn't know very well, Naomi. And in four short chapters, she's named in the eternal genealogy of God. Anybody read that and go, how'd that happen? Love, the welcome of God's people to this foreign Moabite woman, love. Things that I've been um, convicted of recently, a lot, and I think it's because God constantly has to bring me back to this place, (coughs) is love and grace and mercy is always the path. Sometimes my hardened heart wants to assume when grace should stop for somebody else. You with me? Sometimes my hardened heart was like, you know what? I think you've had enough Jesus. Now you need something else. Question, friends, who the heck am I? The other question is, who are you? Love and grace, always the path. And what we see is this woman being welcomed and loved by this people. And that what's happening before this passage is Ruth is in a field gathering. She meets a man named Boaz who gives her some grain. She returns to Naomi. And this is what happens. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by young men until 
they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it will be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet, lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that I say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drank, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley put it, and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And she told her that all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> Pray with me. Whether we feel it or not, Holy Spirit, we believe you're here. Illuminate Jesus in our hearts. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, who is our rock and redeemer. Let us hear your word this morning. Let us hear the words of love. Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
No. So just real quick, I kind of move about the cabin. I hope you're okay with that. You know, I might be over there one time. I might be over here. Um, I do know that your your uh, Shane that he would stay here until he wanted to get real. <laughs> then he'd move here. <laughs> so when he got real, I don't have that. So, but you know, I told him I was gonna do this. So <laughs> I did it. All right. You know, one thing that I miss most about uh, New York, uh, Brooklyn, is not the art scene, which was phenomenal. It wasn't the music, which was great. It, it wasn't the bar scene, which were like every other, <laughs> every other block. Uh, it wasn't even the, the fact that it is truly a melting pot of cultures. Like, we lived in a neighborhood called Kensington, which was butted up right to Park Slope, and you'd go down two train stops, get off of Church Avenue, and you would be in ancient Rome. I mean, Bangla Bangladeshi, Pakistani, uh, Hasidic Jew, Muslim, Irish, uh, Russian, all right there. It's beautiful. Well, thing that I, Aaron and I both, my wife, miss the most is the community that we have. 98% of people that came to Resurrection Park Slope were not from Brooklyn. They weren't from New York. They wanted to move to a number one city. They were full of ambition, and they realized that it was a really hard city to penetrate. It was a really hard city to find community and friends. They joined a church, and we were amazing at community. Reason is because we needed one another so much. Like, we didn't have family. We didn't have friends. It's not like the South where there's like 17 generations of people that have been going to the same church for 187 years. You know, it wasn't like that. There, were, there was no history to that city as far as the people moving in. So we needed one another. And I remember the first time that we, like, somebody called us on the phone. It was a, you know, a, a congregant, you know, member of the church. Said, hey, hey we would like two, two, three weeks after we arrived in Brooklyn in February. It was freezing. Not a great time to move to the Northeast, FYI. Um, said, hey, um, we want to give you a date. We're going to come over and watch your kids. And I was like, what's your name? You know, like, <laughs> sure. And, and I looked at Aaron, and I literally pulled the phone away, and I was like, they want to come watch your kids? And Aaron was like, okay. And so we jumped in. It was phenomenal. We just cared for one another. But the thing that I miss the most is we were a network of five churches. There was 10 pastors, and every Tuesday we would meet because we shared what was called a common rule of life. We would pray out of the Book of Common Prayer. We, we took this rule of life from Benedict's you know, rule, kind of modernized it. And we would, we would talk. We would share with one another, how's your family? What's going on? We would pray. We would, we would eat. Uh, we would discuss. Sometimes we would leave and play darts at a bar. That's for the great days, right? I mean, it was, it was fantastic. But whatever was at the core of that was community, being together, loving one another. Once a year, we'd head upstate New York somewhere or Connecticut. One time we went to Vermont, which is great. And we'd spend a whole week um, as a retreat 
we'd eat great food, we'd drink great drinks, uh, we'd have some sort of competition. We'd usually play wiffle ball um, because they were all getting older and they didn't want to do contact sports. And I was like, come on, guys. Um, and then we would gather in a room and each of us would stand in front and they would just ask us, how is your family? Are you loving them well? Like, Ryan, you have this anger. How are you with your anger? Are you resting? Are you actually helping around the house? There was accountability. And even though you were standing up there feeling completely exposed, absolutely vulnerable, being grilled from your colleagues, friends, pastors, it felt safe. It did. Because I knew that every single one of those people in there really loved me. They were going to say, Ryan, you know, you're dealing with this again. I really need you to change that. Or you're honestly going to lose your job. Or, you know, somehow we're going to push you outside of the community. I just knew it was a safe place because these, these, these brothers, they, they really cared for me. One of the hardest things for me to wrap my head around is that I was a burden on them. Like, we like to talk about love, and we like to talk about hospitality and welcome. But at the core of loving one another is taking on each other's burden. At the core of loving one another is not just taking the beautiful parts about people, right? The eclectic parts, the, the creative parts, the parts that... We can see that everyone is made in the Imago Dei and has dignity, value, and worth. No, the core, even though that's true, the core of welcome is receiving those parts that we don't like. It's welcoming all. When you came in this morning, did anybody check you at the door and say, are you feeling anxious? You need to leave it out there. Are you feeling depressed? God invites us, all of us, into his presence, no matter what. And then he begins to respond to us in a place of love. I didn't like thinking about my friends as burdens. I didn't like thinking of myself as a burden. A contributor to a community? Absolutely. Absolutely. A reliable chef, of course. An amazing mixologist, take notes on that one. Yes. An unusually gifted trash talker on the court or on the field. Best quality that I have. Yes. Burden? None. There's a certain amount of humility that it takes to see yourself a burden. Here's the truth, though. Y'all, see, I'm working on it. All y'all are burdens. We bring the burden of our sin. We bring the burden of our fear. We bring the burden of our anxiety. We bring the burdens of our family. We bring the burdens of our questions. We bring the burdens of all of these things to one another. 
And our propensity is, is in order to enter into some sort of community, we want to make sure that those things aren't really seen. But the community and the love that we all long for is walking into a place where all of that is truly known. And yet it's still a safe place to exist. It's still a safe place to be. They knew everything about me. Think about any context of love that doesn't have this aspect of taking on one another's burdens. My wife is here in the first. I'm glad she's not here in the second one. Because I was like, ask my wife if I'm a burden. She's like in the back. She's like, amen. You know, like. (laughs) I realized in that moment, especially from the absence of not having that, and I'm trying to cultivate this sort of community now. But in the absence of that, I realized that we took on one another's burdens, we helped sharpen one another's minds, we kept one another accountable, but at the core of all of it was, is we truly loved each other. Why am I talking about this? It's because what we have at Ruth chapter 2, 18 through 3, 18, is we have this man named Boaz taking on the burden of these two women named Naomi and Ruth. I want us to see, we're, gonna, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna dive deeply into the complexities of this, we'll highlight a few of it, but this, this situation is super complex. And what we see is this beautiful, mature response from Boaz. I think a response that you and I need to think about when we, when Thinking about loving our neighbors, caring for one another here in this community. As you guys transition, especially into this new season that you're in. Sorry, I gotta skip ahead. I want us to see that the burdens of this passage, the burdens that we bring, are real. The real. The kind of stuff you want to see on reality TV that makes it good. You know those kinds? Real birds. You know, when we think about loving and welcoming and welcoming our neighbors, you know, it's, it's kind of easy at first, right? You welcome an eclectic group of people that probably have same sort of stage of life, probably have some of the same sort of... Uh, uh, interests, if you will. You know, you welcome over to a plate full of cured meats, coupled paired with a really nice, dry Merlot, like Jesus drank, you know? And it's easy. That part's simple. It's easy to have those surface conversations where you kind of welcome people in and you talk back and forth, and it's, it's, it's great. It's, and I'm not disparaging against that. I'm not casting dispersions against that at all. But I'm saying when we really get down to it, welcome and love is tiresome. I mean, think about your life in light of Christ and all that he takes on. And we see this in Boaz. When you actually do it, it's a burden. It's it's hard. And we just need to be honest about that. 
It's difficult taking on the burdens of one another. But we see it all through the Old Testament. Israel is a burden to God. He feeds them. He has to clothe them. He has to lead them. He has to wash them. He has to educate them. He has to deal with them running away from him. He has to deal with them saying, nah, we don't need you anymore. And he has to call them back over and over and over again. And then he teaches Israel then to take the way that God has loved them out into their neighborhoods and their world. That's why we see through the Old Testament, these things, I hate these mites. I'm like, Taylor Swift, I hate you for this. Ah. That's why in throughout all of the Old Testament, God's teaching his people, leave a certain amount of crops at the edge of your field. There's laws around how to care for and love the people around them because he was saying, that which I've given you, the love in which I've lavished upon you, it's not just for you. Take it out into the world. We see it in the New Testament, Jesus taking on the burden of the sick, the burden of hard questions from people that didn't like him very much, and ultimately the burden of all of our sin upon his shoulders. Naomi is an older woman, Israelite woman. Ruth is a younger Moabite woman. Both are widowed and broke. They're living in Israel. And this woman named Naomi is living on land that her dead husband owned, and she cannot pay for it. Boaz is a wealthy landowner who is a distant relative of Naomi. He's what's called a kisman redeemer. And he didn't hold this place uniquely. There was many kinsman redeemers in this community. If you were a kinsman redeemer and somebody in your clan or your family or your tribe was about to lose a field, you purchased it so it didn't go from somewhere else. If somebody was harmed and they couldn't, they couldn't protect themselves, you made sure that they had protection because you cared for your community. This was the role of the kinsman redeemer. Boaz had responsibilities, but it solely wasn't to Naomi. There was somebody closer. But Naomi wanted Boaz to take it. She comes up with this plan to get him to take on the responsibility. She goes to Ruth, and I think Ruth apparently was attractive. She says, I want you to put on your best clothes. In the Hebrew, it says, pour your clothes on. I want you to, to smell like this middle section of Whole Foods, right? Just tons of essential oils. <laughs> right? That's what I want. I want a little Barry White playing in the background, you know? I want some candles. Barry White, did I show my age? Listen, I got, I got style. Barry White is good. <laughs> And I want you to go to him at night. Nobody's around. And I want you to pull back the covers. And I want you to lay down. And whatever he wants to do, you do it. Not behavior that we condone here. I can honestly tell you. I've only been to All Souls four times, and I can almost say, 
You'll never say that we, 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 you should do that. No. <laughs> but this was a plan. Right? And some of you might say, well, the scripture says uncover his feet. It's a euphemism, friends. Matter of fact, that would actually be more creepy, right? If we just pulled back a feet and just sitting on the end, just like, hey. That's even weirder. Uncover his clothes. Lay down next to him. You got to remember, there's other people around. It's in an open field. It's just like, even if it was to that back door, you could still see. It was at dark. I want you to think about the way that Boaz responds to this situation. He's a man. The Bible says that he had drunk and his heart was full of cheer. We know what that means in the Old Testament, right, friends? And he wakes up. And he's like, woman! Where'd you come from? You know, like, how'd this happen? The burden was a moral one. Who's going to say about this kinsman redeemer? It was financial. Essentially, what they were saying is, buy this house that we can't afford, purchase it, move into it, take care of us, and pay for everything. This is what it's saying. <laughs> She's like, good plan. Where can I find me a Boaz? <laughs> Woo! I love it. <laughs> I like you. <laughs> I like you. Let's talk afterwards. <laughs> She's like, hey, any Boaz in the field? Love it. <laughs> good plan. <laughs> oh, this is so much. This is so nice not being at home. Yeah, it's great. I can get by with so much stuff here. <laughs> no, just kidding. They'll never have me back. That's the point. <laughs> He's being tempted with an opportunity. He doesn't take it. He doesn't take it. Think about the vulnerability that she put herself in. Right. Now let's get away from the dynamics of man and woman in this. Let's just in the context of just community with one another. How many times have we been in an opportunity where we could take advantage? We could kind of see a way that we can gain some leverage in a relationship. What does he do? He guards her dignity. He could have done whatever he wanted, and it would have been accepted. And he says, don't worry about it. It's not why you're here. He calms her fears. You know that she had to be terrified. And he says, fear not. The word rest in the Hebrew is different from the word that she offered, lay down. It means take a nap, go to sleep. It means, hey, Naomi, you're in a safe place. I'm not going to do that. 
And this is, I think, one of the most beautiful pictures of this whole passage. And think about the way that Jesus offers this for us. Is that she walked into this situation ready to take off her clothes. And yet, Boaz fills her clothes with what she needs. Sends her on her way. Love, friends, the way that we are called as those that are seeking to follow the Lord Jesus to imitate our lives after him, it's not always sexy and fun. Think about your life. Think about everything that you bring. Here's the challenge. Sit down this afternoon and write about the areas where you're probably a burden to someone else. I know I'm a burden. My wife tells me sometimes. Shane has told me plenty of times. A few. I'm going to wrap up. July 28th. My family had left. Um, they were in St. Louis. It was Sunday. And I was telling guys that we're closing up and we we're kind of putting stuff together, putting stuff away. And I said, guys, man, my family's not at home. I already ordered my Thai food. I'm going to go home and binge watch something and take a nap. Couldn't wait to get home. Instead, what happened is I got home, turned on the Netflix, started eating, and I had a 40-minute panic attack. Never had one before. I was alone. I was terrified. I passed out. I broke dishes. It was insane. My heart, my, my heart was racing. My arm went numb. I passed out again. I called a kid in our church. It was like, you've got to get over here now. And then on his way over, I said, call the ambulance. And the ambulance came. During that panic attack, you know who I called? <coughs> Shane. <laughs> yeah. We're close. I love him. And I called him. I was like, dude, I'm going to die. Tell my family I love them. This is it. Curtains, lights out. Tell everybody at Resurrection, come do my benediction, everything. <laughs> and he calmly was like, hey, man. I don't think you're having a heart attack. I'm having a heart attack. You know, I'm yelling at him. I'm mad because he's so calm. He's like, let me pray for you. Let me know. A long story short, it's a panic attack. I wouldn't die. And from that moment on, there's been a series of people, my psychologist, my pastors, my mentors, my friends, my family, that once I was honest about where I was, started taking on my burden. I can tell you I'm different because of God's grace. A month before it happened, my wife, who knows me really well, looked at me and she pointed at me. She said, you may be fooling everybody else, but you're not fooling me. I know there's something not right. And of course, me being the arrogant person that I am was like, I'm fine. Walked off. But it wasn't until God brought me to a place in my life that I couldn't run from it anymore. 
It was actually on display for St. Elmo to see. I begin to understand that there is only one Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And the minute that we begin to be honest about us and who we are in light of his love, then we can start to experience what it really feels like to be loved. I hope, closing, I hope this is a word of encouragement. Here's the reason. Some of us need to get honest. And this is a safe place. Others of you have been here 18 years. And you have been sowing. And you've been plowing. And you've been giving. And you've been taking on the burdens of this community and your neighbors and this city. And you're ready to transition to a new season. And so let this be a word of comfort of keep going. Jesus sees it. And your labor and your work is not in vain. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, thank you for taking on us. Thank you for taking on our burdens. Thank you for loving us well. Help us to truly see it and experience it. So that we can live honestly in front of one another. Honestly before you. And in that moment experience what it's really like to be loved by the King. Christ, and we pray. Amen.